You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3, so go ahead and if you have a Bible to turn there, it'll be on the screen if you don't. Um, Just also want to thank so many of you guys have volunteered for for our virtual school, and I just want to thank you for that. It's a long haul, I know. Chatham County doesn't seem to know what they're going to do uh, next week or, or the next month, so you guys are critical to that. Uh, for those of you who signed up even today uh, outside with the dinosaur, um, and I don't know what the dinosaur has to do with anything, but it was fun. You know, so they had a dinosaur. But just thankful for you guys being faithful. It's been a lot of weeks and who knows how much longer, but these, these kids need it and they're worth it. And uh, so it's an opportunity for us to serve them. So thank you for doing that. And if you're interested in jumping in at any time, find the dinosaur. I mean, I think she's gone, but find someone who knows the dinosaur. So, all right, First John 3. Um, one of my favorite movies, Lord of the Rings. Any Lord of the Rings fans out there? A few of you. Look, there we go. Two hands up in the balcony. Thank you very much. And, so, and, and the second Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, there's this, there's this scene where Smeagol and Gollum are, are talking. And Gollum is accusing Smeagol and saying harsh things. And this is right when you start feeling Smeagol, you know, some pity for him. He's, he's just a misunderstood, you know, Gollum kind of thing. And, and he's starting to turn the corner and maybe it's because of Frodo's kindness and, and, you know, whatever it is, you're feeling a little bit of pity. And Gollum is, is telling him, you have no friends. No one likes you. He's like, those masters likes us. No, no one likes you. And then he starts condemning him and, and throwing these accusations because he's like, the Smeagol's like, no, no. He's like, liar, cheater, murderer. And he's like, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. Right? And there's this, this, this conversation going back and forth. It's brilliantly put, up, put out in the movie because if you know anything about the movie or the books, Smeagol and Gollum are the same person. It's, it's one person. And so all these accusations and condemning liar, murderer, cheater are actually coming from himself. He's accusing himself of all these things. And that's kind of the heart of this passage here, that sometimes there's that voice inside you that's just yapping. It's like Gollum. I mean, have you ever had a conversation with yourself in the middle of like something else? I mean, you don't have to admit that because we're not going to send you to any place or anything, but like... You're, you're in a conversation, something's going on, and you're thinking, what am I doing here? I need to go over here, and are they looking at the zit on my forehead? Can they see that? And that guy's breath is so bad. And you're just talking, and something else is going on in your head. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, I'll be looking out there, I'll, the same thing. I'm like, I'm looking, I'm like, okay, that guy's asleep in the back again. Am I boring, or is he just like lazy, or I don't know, but he, you know, whatever. So I, you know, just having these running conversation thoughts. What's for lunch? Who's gonna win the game today? It, while you're doing something, and that's fine, that's kind of normal, but what, what's hard is when that voice turns on you and starts condemning. You don't belong here. How can you sing that song, Worthy? Don't you know you're not? Look at your week. Look at, your, look at the ride over in the minivan. Look at who you are. If these people knew who you are, you missed your hands in the air, you missed you know, singing out loud. If they knew who you really were, you would not even show up here. And there's just that voice. It's that golem. And it comes from ourselves. So what do we do when that happens? That's what John's gonna help us address this morning in John, 1 John 3, verse 19 to 24. And we've been talking about that you may know 
right? And we've looked at all these topics that John has been highlighting to this, this group of people who a bunch of folks left the church and are trying to divide the church and split the church. And he's trying to show them, this is the truth, this is error, and sees that you may know forgiveness and the truth and assurance and the Father's heart and all these things. And today, he wants to take them from a place of, of condemnation, of guilt, of shame, right? Maybe some of you this morning, maybe that was you. You, you don't want to admit it, but you came in and just, your head's down. You just, don't, you just don't feel it because of whatever. He wants you to take you to a place of, from, of condemnation to confidence. And so today we're going to talk about that you may know confidence, not cockiness, not arrogance, confidence. Because if you, if you come in, if, you're, if you come in here with this, the burden and it, you feel unworthy and the guilt, it's going to impact everything. It's going to impact what you think about yourself. When you look in the mirror, you're just going to see unworthy, shame, guilt, it's going to impact how you think about the Father. You're just going to live under the frown of, of heaven for, for the rest of your life. That God is just like, he's just waiting. He's got a lightning bolt. And as soon as you run that stop sign, gotcha. It's the last time. That's what you think. It's going to impact your joy. You're not going to have any. It's going to impact your, your uh, passion. It's going to impact your influence. You're not going to want to share the love of God with anyone because you don't feel love. You're not, you feel guilt. You're going to want to hide. It's going to fuel addiction. Do you know that, that there's studies that show that addiction is fueled, that pill, that illicit relationship, that, that drink, whatever it is, that oftentimes that's just masking a self-condemning heart. Just trying to hide the fact that you just feel empty and broken. And so you're trying to cover that up. That's where addiction goes. And you have to understand, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are not meant to feel that condemnation. That shame, that guilt. You're not meant to come in here, oh, woe is me. Why does no one want to have anything to do with Christianity? Maybe because you have no joy. You come in, oh, I'm such a bad person. We're so bad, 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 bad. That's not who the people of God are supposed to be. So John is going to help us today go from this condemnation when your heart is yapping and talking that you will get from condemnation to confidence. Right? And so let me read our text. It's just six little verses. Uh, and then I'll jump in and kind of highlight really four things for us this morning. By this we know, shall know, verse 19, that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because he keeps his commandments, because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commands abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. So he introduces the idea right off the bat of your heart condemning. Whenever our heart condemns us, and, and the word heart is the same, we use the word heart the same way they used it then. Like your emotions and your desires and your passions, it's the same idea. So if you say, man, my heart's just not in that. My heart's not in my job, which means I don't care. I have no passion for that, I have no desire. If we say, just follow your heart, right? Follow your heart, what's that mean? It means do what you want. Go with your gut, what's your gut feeling? And here's what you need to know. This is what the theologian Hank Williams told us. Your, your heart is a lion and cheating heart. That your heart is not always trustworthy. It cannot be trusted. 
This is what God says about your heart. And this is God actually speaking to Jeremiah. He says, your heart is deceitful. That means it lies and it's desperately sick. The word in the Hebrew means it's incurable. Your heart is incurable and a liar who can understand it. So the Proverbs say that you are to guard your heart, to keep your heart with all diligence because everything flows from your heart. Here's the point. It's not that emotions are bad and, and, and your gut is always wrong. Mother's intuition is not always wrong. But the point is this, you can't always trust your heart. It can't just be like, what do your heart think? What do I want? What do I, I do what I want, I do how I want because it's not always reliable. So how many bad decisions have been made in your life because you went with your heart? You woke up on a Saturday, you were just looking, and you came home with a 127-month lease, right? Because you were just looking, because your heart got involved. Oh, it's got a moonroof and, you know, this. Or you went to Walmart, and there was the, this person over there with this box of kittens. And kittens are cute, let's be honest. Kittens are cute. And then they grow up to be cats. But your heart got involved. And now you're a cat owner. And they have nine lives. And will live forever. Or it's a relationship. There's some relationship. But he was the one. And oh, he's so sweet. And, and he likes dogs. And, and he likes poetry. And he, he's in a band. Right? And does he have a job? No. But he wrote me a song. And he wrote me a poem. He's got such good hair, too. He uses his hair, take care of his hair. That's your heart speaking. Bad decisions, right? All right? And the enemy will, here's what you need to know. The enemy will use your heart. And so verse 19 says, uh, whenever our heart, and I, I circled that in my Bible because the idea is it's not if your heart condemns you, it's when. When your heart condemns you. When your heart starts yapping, when Gollum is in your ear, and here's what he does. He uses all sorts of strategies, but one of them is he will take your past failures. Just some big instance, the biggest thing you've ever done, the worst thing you've ever done, and he will constantly bring you up. That, that uh, divorce, that abortion, that, that relationship that went sideways, you blowing up the company, you being a bad parent, whatever it is, your worst moment, and he will constantly revisit it like Gollum, murderer, Thief, liar. So that's what you think you are, right? And, and our response is always, you know, we try to do more good. We try to be religious. We try to be, it doesn't take away condemnation. It just adds more rules. Or some of you, you just have tender consciences, right? You just, you know, every little thing bothers you. Some of you are rule followers. Any rule followers out there? It's like two of us. I'm a rule follower. You know rule followers in COVID times, it's real easy. Go to Publix, if you see an arrow that says this way, right, or do not enter, and there's a can of soup right there, it's only six feet in, but the arrow is going this way. If you're a rule follower, you're like, I gotta go around, I gotta go around. You walk all the way around. The, the non-rule followers, they left their car and the, the SUV in the electric parking car and walked in, right? They grabbed five rolls of toilet paper, even though it says one roll only, please. And they paid in change because they want everyone to know that I, I don't believe in this, right? You touch my coins. But if you're that rule follower, tender conscience person and every little thing bothers you, you feel guilty. 
did this, I did that, I did this, I'm not good enough, I don't, I'm, my family's not like their family, and there's always comparison, and we go to more rules, and we try to be more religious, well, I'll just read my Bible more, I'll just pray harder, I'll go to more church, and we just make more rules that we'll never be able to keep, and it's just a cycle that gets you spinning out, spinning out into depression, or the other side is, well, fine, I just can't do it anymore, and we just quit, and we go to just do whatever, no rules, and neither deals with the, the condemning heart, the golem in your ear. But John tells us here, here's how you deal with it. Here's one way to deal with it. Number one, remember your progress. We've seen this before. Look back on your growth. That's what he says. Look, look at it again at the beginning of the verse. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts. He wants to reassure. It's a word that means pacify. It means to shut up. Here's how you shut your heart yapping up. Here's how you silence your heart. By this you know. By what? He goes back to verse 18. By you walking in love, by you doing love and deed and in truth, not just talking about it. He says, when the love of God flows through you, it shows you, it silences your heart so that you know you're of the truth. So you don't need to, hear to, need to listen to this lying, cheating heart. You go back to what God has done. You look at your progress. Not, that, not what, you, what you, maybe how bad you are, but look how far you've come. We've seen this before. This is what he keeps coming back to. See, it's easy to spot your errors. Everybody has them. It's easy to, to highlight your, your failures. You could, if I say to you, give me five times you failed this week, go. You probably wouldn't even get to like 6 a.m. today, but you already got five. Minivan, breakfast, dog. Yeah, I've made it. But if I say, hey, give me five areas of, of victory this week. Or somehow you were loving, somehow you were kind, somehow you, it's harder. Why? Because it's, it's, we naturally gravitate to our brokenness. And John is saying, no, don't, don't think about this. I want you to think about your growth. We talked about this a couple weeks ago too. Remember I said, hey, you're trying to lose 20 pounds. What's more encouraging? Saying, I've lost five pounds. Or I have 15 more to go. What's more encouraging there? I'm staying over here. I lost five pounds. We're going to McDonald's to celebrate. Come on, let's go. Cheat day, right? Because that's encouraging. That's what he's saying. Some of you, you know, you're, you're like us with the kids. You have the little markers on your, you know, on, somewhere on the house of how tall, how tall, how tall. What's more encouraging saying, kid, you're only three foot eight. What's your problem? Or you grew three inches last year. Wow. I mean, in our house, that's big. Three inches is like Goliath. That's like, whoa, three inches. You're five foot two. Wow. May not be much for y'all, that's for something for us, right? That's the point. Look at your growth. Look how far God has brought you because that will stir you up. I'm not saying that you shouldn't reflect on, on failures so that you learn from them. That, we, we, we see that in the scripture. But, but to always just stay there, that's discouraging. And he says, you wanna know you're of the truth? Look back what God has done. Look at your growth. It's been six months. You haven't had a drink in six months. You were an alcoholic, you haven't drank for six months. That's growth. You used to be in all this debt. You've paid a quarter of it off. Praise God. That's awesome. Right? You used to use you know, an F word every third word. Now it's every 12th word. That's growth. You used to do X, you used to do whatever it is. Look back and see what God has done and be encouraged and reassure your heart. You are of the truth. You don't see these New Testament writers like, woe is me, I'm so bad. You see Paul say, I was a chief sinner. This is what I did, but this is who I am now. You don't even see Peter mention his stuff. I mean, he's got more failures than anybody. You don't even see him mention his stuff in First, Second Peter, the book of Acts. Because he knows who he is. It's not cocky, he's confident. And you look at the men and women of the Bible 
that are, that are victorious, they're confident, not, not arrogant. They're confident in who God is and what he has done and that he's moving and he wants me to be a part of that. He invites me in, right? That's the idea. And your enemy will try to do everything you, he can to get you good the other way. He wants you to be depressed. He wants you to be despondent. He wants you to sit and just in the mire and muck of joylessness, of condemnation, of guilt. Remember, if you've ever read the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, I would recommend highly you do it. Read the, the newer version because I don't understand the old King James language. But there's a scene where Pilgrim, on the way to the celestial city in heaven, he gets stuck in the slew of despond. It's just mire and muck and filth and he can't move, he can't get out. He literally cannot get himself out. The burden, he's just, and he's discouraged. And finally, a guy comes by named Help, helps him out. It's just what we do. Carry one another's burdens as long as the day is still called today, encouraging one another. But Help says, why didn't you take the steps? Why didn't you, why didn't you follow the steps? So I didn't see the steps. He said, yeah, they're, they're kind of hard to see because of the filth and the muck, because that's what, that's what the, the guilt and shame is. It's, it's, it it kind of hides it. He says, but they're there, the steps. And sure enough, there's the steps. John is offering us a step through the slew of the spine, and that is to know and look at what God has done in your life and be encouraged by it and be reminded by it. But that's not it. Look at it again, he says, verse 20. And whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than your heart. He knows everything. He, when your heart is saying, look what you did, look what you did, look what you did, look, look how bad you are, God is not being informed of that. He's not like, wow, you did that last week? I didn't see that. I was kind of looking at, you know, I was kind of focused on Europe last week and then I missed, missed. God knows everything. He's not shocked at what you've done, yet he fully forgives. He does, he's not wondering, oh, where, what, what are you really thinking? He completely knows you and he completely loves you. He completely understands everything and he entirely embraces you. Not because we are good, not because we've done anything, because he is. Not because we're lovely, because he's loving. And so when your heart starts talking to you and condemning you and oh, look how bad you are, here's the second thing you do. You declare truth to your heart. You remind yourself of, of truth. You call God down into this discussion and say, God, I, I need you to move in here. Because in a, you know, I'm not a, a legal expert, but in a court of law, a prosecutor can accuse and he can indict, but you know what he can't do? He can't convict. Only the judge can convict. He can make accusations, but he can't convict. And so when this is you, you're this, you're that, you're worthless, worst mom ever, worst dad ever, worst boss ever, whatever, worst Christian ever. What you need to do is call your attorney. Not Mike Costello. Who's your attorney? Who's your advocate with the father Chapter two, verse one, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And your advocate, your attorney, your counsel will stand there and say, Father, my client is guilty of everything that he has said. But I've paid for his guilt. I paid his penalty. I paid everything that he, for he, everything he did. And the father will look down and say, all right, innocent. It's not just that you are not guilty. That is true. But it's actually even more than that, that when the father, the judge looks down at you, the defendant, he doesn't see you. He sees 
his son and his righteousness. And so he says, not just that you are not guilty, no, that you are actually innocent, that Jesus's innocence has been given to you. And so you can walk out with confidence and say, yes, I did those things, but here's what God did for me. And this is why I can stand boldly. I need to declare that. And you need to be able to declare that to yourself. You need to be able to preach that and remind yourself that if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just. That if I am one of God's elect, who can charge one of God's elect? Nobody. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, beloved, we are God's children now. And we don't even know what it's going to look like when, we're, when he comes back. But we are going to be like him. And all these promises that God has given us, you need to be able to call these into mind and say, heart, you, you shush. And you talk to, you talk to my father. All right? That's what Smeagol does. Remember that scene? Okay, Gollum, Smeagol, and, and Gollum's like, you're this, you're this. You would be nowhere without me. And Smeagol says, no, we have a new master now. Go away and never come back. Go away and never come back. And three times he yells, go away and never come back. And finally he's gone. And then he starts yelling, Smeagol's free, yay! And then he betrays him and dies. But still, he was free. For a moment he was free. Why? Because he has a new master now. And that's what he declares. Right? That's what you need to remind. This is what the psalmist says. He said, why are you cast down, my soul? He's talking to himself. Why are you depressed? Why are you in turmoil? It's not denying the reality of the depression and the anxiety. He says, but why? And and he he reminds himself, hope in God. I will again praise him. One day I will again praise him. Here's the point. You do not need to beat yourself up after all your failures for being a bad this, a bad that. You don't need to beat yourself up because Jesus Christ already took your beating. So what are you gonna add to that? He is, God is far more merciful to us than some of you are merciful to your own selves. That's the truth. Or to your, those people in your house or those people in your family. God is far more merciful. And you don't need to wallow. I'm not saying don't grieve it. You repent of it. You call it what it is. You sin, you confess it, you own it, and then you move. And you don't need to wallow in it because Christ has paid for it. Paid in full. That's what Jesus says. And when we have that, we shut our heart down. Look what he says, beloved. Don't you love that? Loved ones. If our heart doesn't condemn us, and it won't because you just shut it down, then you have what? Confidence, boldness, right? Chapter two, remember, we don't wanna shrink away from him and his coming. We wanna have confidence. We wanna have boldness. You can have boldness before God, not arrogance, but you can boldly enter into God's presence, right? And then what happens? Verse 22, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases, pleases him. And this is his commandment. We believe in the name of his son and we love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commands abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know he abides in us by his spirit. And so he says, when you're feeling shame and guilt, one of the things you don't wanna do is you don't wanna approach God. Why would I wanna talk to God? Why would he give me anything? Look how bad I've been. Look how this I've done. Look, look at me. And he says, no, no, no. You're, you're thinking about this wrongly. You don't need to run from God. You actually need to run to him. The enemy wants you to hide. That's what he does in Genesis 3, hide. No, you need to run to the father. You need to talk to your dad and you need to pray. And this is not only a result of understanding confidence, but I think it's a way to it. You can come to your dad. You have access to your father. You don't have to wait, you know, oh, don't, don't give me, you know, he, I shouldn't ask God for this new job because I've just been such a bad fill in the blank. I don't need to, oh, I don't need to ask God for a raise. I don't need to ask God to get married because look at all of my train wreck of relationships. That's not what he says. No, you go to your dad. You have access. 
Right? When I'm in my office, you know, someone might come by the church and say, uh, they'll call me and say, hey, so-and-so is here to see you. Or there's a phone call for you on line three. Or even if someone comes down or like, they need to talk to me, they'll just kind of knock and say, hey. And I'll say, hey, come on in, right? There's, a, there's kind of a middle man, whether it's the administrative assistant or, you know, just the door. But do you know who never knocks on my door? It's my kids. They just bust on in. Right, when they call, I answer. Right, because they're my kids. There's a story about a Roman general who was coming home from battle and he won this great victory in this big victory parade and everyone's lying in the streets and this little kid runs out to go see the general and the soldier stops him and says, son, you can't be out here. This, you can't, you can't. This, that's the general. Don't you know who he is? He says, yeah, I know who he is. He's your general, but he's my dad. And that's the point. He said, you go to your father and whatever you ask, we receive. That doesn't mean he gives you everything you want. This is not God is your Santa Claus. He's a good dad. He gives good gifts, but good dads don't just say yes to everything. If that was so, we'd be eating you know, tombstone pizza and lucky charms for every meal, right? God says yes to some things. He says no to some things. He says, wait, even to God, God the Father doesn't answer Jesus' everything he asks. Jesus says, Father, take this cup from me, but you're, not my will, but yours. And he says, my will is for you to go to the cross. But here's the idea. He gives us a request. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. What are his commandments? That we believe and that we love. And he says, and whoever does that is abiding in God. Abiding is believing and loving. He says, when you abide in God, God hears your prayer. He answers your prayer. He gives you your request because your heart is so tied to God. You're gonna be praying what God wants. You're already gonna be thinking on the same lines. You're gonna be close. You're gonna be praying the things, Lord, use these, these resources you've given me to encourage people to whatever. You think God's gonna be like, no, I don't want you to share. I want you to be selfish. God, help me to be a loving boss, a, a loving uh, son, a, a whatever. No, I, don't, I really don't want you to be a good boss. I want you to be a jerk. He's gonna answer those things because your heart's tied to his. If my kids come up to me and say, dad, would you please, please let me go study for my science test and then vacuum my room? No, I, I, I really want you to be a PE major, so I'm gonna send you outside to play kickball. No, I'm gonna say, go, study for science. Yes, and vacuum, that's awesome, right? That's heart of God is that you would be so close to him that you'd be praying those things. But the point is this, don't run from your father, run to him. You have access at all times, right? You don't have to shrink away. You don't have to, I can't sing, I can't pray, I'm so bad. He never says that. In fact, when you will understand that that's not him, you will run to him and you'll find the father, the prodigal son running to him, the father running to the prodigal son. He puts a ring on you, he cooks a barbecue for you, and he puts a robe on you and he calls you his son or his daughter. And then finally this, real quick, is when you're in this place, trust in his presence. And that's hard because sometimes you feel alone and you feel isolated and no one understands and I'm this and no one else is and no one else has struggles because everyone's so smiley on Instagram and I'm the only one and that's what we think. That's because you're believing a lie that the enemy wants you to think that you're alone and you're the only one and you're the only one who struggles. It's not true. It's not true. Remember, he was an enemy. He's a liar from the beginning. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's a slanderer. He wants to get you alone. He wants you to feel alone. But, but the verse reminds us, you're not alone. 
Verse 24, whoever keeps God's commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know he abides in us by the spirit. He's given you his spirit. His literally, the third person of the triune God dwells in his people. And Jesus said, we'll be there forever. He is your counselor. He is your comforter. He is your helper. Right? You have the mind and heart of God. You have been a partaker of the divine nature by the Spirit of God who is sealing you for the day of redemption. Can you lose the Holy Spirit? Never. If you're a Christian, you cannot lose the Holy Spirit in your life. You cannot lose your salvation. He is stronger than you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. You're gonna break the seal of the Holy Spirit? You cannot, right? You are sealed forever. And so what we need to be is learning to listen to the Spirit and not our heart. And as you grow in your relationship with God, you will listen to the Spirit, you'll hear the Spirit more frequently and you'll be more clear on, on His voice versus your heart. How do I know the difference between His and the heart? Well, I don't have a, a formula, but here's what I do know. Spirit never leads contrary to the Scripture. Remember, He's the one who wrote it. So He's not gonna tell you to do something He already said not to do. So if He's saying, yeah, you need to marry that guy who doesn't have a job, who wrote you a poem, and he's not a believer, but he's, but he's nice, you need to marry him. You know, that's, not, that's a lie, that's your heart. If, that's an easy one, right? But if, if your spirit is leading, the spirit will always lead you back to the Father and to the Son. Will always lead you into righteousness and love and peace and kindness and grace. What, what glorifies the Son? The spirit will always get you to expose and not hide. The flesh will have you hide. I'm gonna hide, I'm not gonna repent, I'm not gonna own, I'm gonna blame, I'm gonna whatever. No, the spirit will say, no, you go back to the Father, Right? That's, that's what can happen. It's going to always result in love and kindness and generosity and faithfulness. And the only way to really grow in your knowledge of, of walking by the Spirit, only two ways I know is to read Scripture and to pray. Because in prayer, you're talking to God and in Scripture, is talking, God's talking to you. And you're, you'll see him start using uh, the Spirit, to, to trans, the Scripture to transform your mind. You have the mind of God. You'll have the heart of God. You'll have the hands of God where you're starting to thinking the thoughts of God, you're starting desiring the things God is, to love others, to love people, and then you start doing the works of God, being, being generous, being kind, serving one another. That's what happens, and that's what he wants. And then you look back on that and say, look at the progress, and because I see progress, I have confidence, which gets you back to the beginning. Right? This is a cycle that God wants to encourage his people in. Here, here's the point. We'll close with this. I don't want anybody in our, in our church to walk away feeling guilty. Right? If you are in Christ, there is no need for you to walk away this morning feeling, God, I'm so horrible. Right? You need to rest in the finished work of Christ where he says, it is finished. You don't need to listen to Gollum. Gollum will always be there. You need to remember your progress. You need to declare these truths. You need to approach your father. And then you need to remember his presence. Some of you just, you, you've been dealing with stuff for years. I know because we talked to you and, and we'll hear that for 25 years ago something happened and you're still thinking about it. You need to give that over to God. I'm not saying that, that was, it was right, it was good. I'm saying that that's paid for and you don't need to carry that burden anymore. You could be free. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And some of you are just, you, you try to mask that with like more religious, more activity, more, that's not gonna work. It's gonna make you feel more, feel more guilty because you're never gonna measure up to the standards that you're setting for yourself. You need to lay these things in God's hands and trust his sufficiency. Let me pray and then we'll sing uh, and then we'll go. Father, I just thank you for freedom which you offer. I pray for folks in our church that there would be rest uh, and 
They can have peace in you. They don't, have to, they don't have to listen to this internal condemnation that happens. And maybe some people deal with that more than others. But that we would find hope and rest and peace uh, in what you have done. That we don't need to be guilty. And then for those of you who are just trying real hard and failing, let them just cease. Be still and know that you are God. Trust in what you have done. Uh, and that we would be free to then go be loving to others because we have been experienced in the grace and love of Christ. Pray these things in Christ's name, amen. You guys can stand as we sing.